Welcome to The Curious Cult Show. My name is Nick Haralambis and I am your obsessively curious host. And in season two, we are discussing why people start things. If you like this show, please like, subscribe and share anywhere and everywhere. That will help us grow this incredibly curious community. For now, enjoy this episode. Today, I'm lucky to talk to someone who I've known for a while, almost invested in one of my previous businesses, done a lot of stuff. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Nick. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. Cool, man. So before we kick off, like I ask every one of my guests, please introduce yourself and tell us why we should be listening to you. <laughs> well, we, we, we're <laughs> listening to me because we're listening to you, but uh, thank you. Very short intro, I, I was incredibly lucky to have a, um, a career in professional sport, um, which started very early on. Um, I was a, a student at Tillamosh University as an 18, 19-year-old and got into professional sport as, as rugby became a, a, a vocation, which it wasn't um, before I got to, to the university. Um, and then I spent uh, 12 years, 13 years of my life um, playing sport in various um, guises uh, around the world. Um, and played internationally for South Africa, which was a, a great privilege. And um, I think it, it put me on onto sort of a, uh, I would say, a, what's become a modern day entrepreneurial journey because I got involved in businesses from very early on and and had a whole uh, number of investments and and um, co-investments with people on that journey. And then when sport um, finished for me, I realized I wanted to go back into that space. I did a, a short stint in, in corporate in a, in a more formal role to learn a little bit about how to uh, dot the I's and cross the T's in a, in a, in a corporate environment um, while I was managing a, a small portfolio of, of my own little investments. Um, I exited those and joined a family office in the UK four and a half years ago now, or almost five years ago. And I've been there ever since. Um, that family office has subsequently bought what I regard as one of the best venture capital um, uh, managers uh, in South and Southern Africa called Knife Capital. So I'm a partner there and I'm a venture partner at uh, the family office. Brilliant. That was very succinct, but very detailed. Nice. And I look, I couldn't agree with you more on Knife Capital. I've actually never formally worked with the team, admire everything they've done. So yeah, I think you're in, you're in a great place. So to kick things off, can you remember the first difficult thing that you started or set your mind to and can you tell us the short story of that thing i can um I, and you know what i'm going to be i'm going to uh, jockify it um it is actually <laughs> it, it, it is a um a jock uh, story and it's part of the Do reason it. it's part of the reason why i'm a bad investor because i it, and and I, and I think about this a lot you know I'm, I'm i'm getting on now i'm 44 and and i think about this a lot i had a lot of things come very easy to me um and and i had incredibly supportive parents um i had a fantastic schooling fantastic upbringing a lot of positive quality people around me a lot of the time so there wasn't a lot that that sort of went wrong and, 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 you know, gave me a hard time about going wrong. Um, and then in my sporting career, very similar. I was blessed with talent, but amazing players around me and amazing coaches and sort of right time, right place and a million different things like that. So, so I, I had one huge setback in, in rugby, which was, a you know, I had to, I had to come back from, from an injury and, and make it into a team. And that was the first time I actually sort of walked alone, you know, 
go and sit under a tree, you know, if you if you if you want to talk about this sort of self-reflection um, like that and say, okay, do do I really want this? And am I prepared to work hard for this? And and um, I was and and I did. And and that was coming back to professional sport after having three years out, having to literally physically change my body from you know, a, a BMI, which was was out of kilter with what the other players were, a body which hadn't done real strength or speed training for sort of three and a bit years um, and, and put real time and effort over a period of about five and a half months to make it back into professional sport. And and that was the first time I realized that, that um, the stuff that had come easy to me actually was, was, was quite genuinely a day-to-day struggle for a lot of people. And it became a day-to-day struggle for me because of the change in, in um, just body type and, and muscle strength and, and even, even sort of mental strength to keep yourself training in that. And I worked with some great coaches and some great people, but I had to do probably 95% of it on my own. Um, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a turning point in my life, not so much in my career. I was very lucky to, to, to then with that team go and, and, and play in a, in a uh, super rugby season and, and then on to a World Cup. Um, but it was more about, okay, uh, you know, when you take on big projects like this, there needs to be an nth degree of focus. There needs to be an nth degree of commitment um, and there needs to be a plan and a roadmap and you need to be able to put milestones and, and, and grow. You know, there's, there's what had happened was I'd, I'd sort of, it's a bit like your annoying friend. I, I didn't have it in all my sports. It's anno- your annoying friend. You can pick up a golf club or a tennis racket or a squash racket or a, or a mountain bike and just hair off and they, they're like seriously good at it. And, and I, I hate those people. Exactly. And I, and, and I was very lucky. I had it in, in rugby and, and, and particularly um, in the type of rugby I played with the good quality people around me, but I, it hadn't given me the lessons that that I probably needed to 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 work hard for stuff. And you know, it's funny when when a lesson like that comes along, you learn it and you learn it properly. Yeah, that's super interesting, and I like that 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 was actually about sport because I'm curious. I've been curious about this idea of muscle memory. And the things that we teach ourselves are the things that we relearn. And that's not necessarily about physical muscle memory for you as a sports person. And you're saying you had to retrain your body. I'm more interested in the muscle memory of you were a pro athlete. You got injured. You kind of have been there before. Did it make it easier to get back into it, more accessible because you knew what it was like to be at that level? And I'm thinking more here around an entrepreneur who succeeds once is more likely to succeed again. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and I think you can definitely draw parallels. I mean, I, I, I would say, of course it is, but I also think there are a few caveats there. You know, you, as you get older, your, your body on, on the sports side, you, you're not physically able to yeah. do the same thing. So, so you can't, you can't, um, you can't just pick up, you know, power and speed as quickly as you can in, in your thirties, as you can in your twenties, you know, little things like that. I think, mm. I think with the entrepreneurial journey, what, what I have learned is that as long as you learn those lessons and, and there's the mental side that I don't think commitment's a problem, I don't think knowledge is a problem, I don't, but then maybe the, the negative of that is you get into your rut. It's like, you know, I do SaaS businesses and therefore, you know, um, B2B, B2B specialization is my thing, so B2C businesses don't work or, or, or whatever it is. You, you might find mm. you're missing out on opportunity because you're, you're more in, in the rut of what you've learned. I, you know, and I follow a lot of guys on social media just, just for the insights of, of that, you know, like the, the Paul Grahams and um, the, the people who have done successful investment after successful investment, Rulof Boerter, we've, we've seen lots of them. They always talk about still being open, still being curious. That's why I like the premise of, of, of you know, your first series, because 
um, even even as a secondary, um, or sorry, second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time investor, they display the same early traits, um, maybe just with a bit more maturity mm. around the investment. Yeah, I think that word maturity is also an interesting one. And uh, you said it in your intro, you're getting on at 44. Funny, most people don't realize that statistically more millionaires are minted in the world after the age of 40 than before. And I think that that has to do with experience and maturity because you can see the wood from the trees slightly better and you're not like herring ahead, even with sports, right? When you're a 19, 20 year old Springbok, you're playing significantly harder rugby than when you're a 29, 30 year old Springbok because you've got the smarts and the experience on the field, I think. No. You can maybe speak to that a bit more. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's silly. We've spoken about this before. One of my favorite authors is Richard Koch, who, who, who put, put the Pareto principle on the map and called it the 8020 principle and, and, and has created a, uh, an investment philosophy around it, which I, I really admire. And he lives it. He absolutely lives it on a day to day basis. And I've been lucky enough to meet him and, and collaborate with him on a few things. Um, but he talks about those smarts. He's like, you know, I tell people about the 8020 and they're like, oh, yeah, that's really cool for like 40% of my life. And he's like, you missed the whole you missed no, no. the whole point. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, great. And he, and, and he, he, he lives it like you won't believe him. Um, and, and I think I think that is, you know, it's maybe that, that mashup of, of philosophy, but then also your implementation of that philosophy. You get a lot of people who, who, who talk a good game, but then, you know, we only invest like this, except for this time where I'm doing it with my family or or I always protect capital in, in my in, in what I'm doing. And then, you know, you get the guy who's he, he hasn't looked after any of his cash. Come COVID, he's he's letting go of all the domestics and and all the, the fringe stuff in his in his life and, and relooking it. Yeah, absolutely. So jumping back to the the three-year break and the hardship you mentioned earlier, I want to dive in a little bit to the idea of failure. It's what my first book was about. It's what I focus on very heavily. Uh, a lot of the people I coach and mentor, their number one concern is, oh my God, what if I fail? So how did you deal with that? I mean, the mental side of it is at this point for me, much more intense than the physical. Physical, you can go to gym, you can train, your body heals, but mentally you can be broken forever. So like when you, you've injured, you're at the peak of your career, you break down, how do you get back up? Like, how do you cope with that failure? What did you actually do? I think, I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous exploration and, and I think it's, it's, it's very brave to talk about it because you, you're so right. So many people don't, don't like it. Um, I think there's 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 a combination. There's there's sort of two or three things that, that I've I've learned as I've got older, which I think maybe I was I was applying without thinking. Maybe there was a sort of intrinsic something I got from my my mum or my dad who were very positive people, or you know that they, they we sort of we settled in South Africa after leaving um, what had become Zimbabwe. You know, at at my age now, my dad had just finished fighting in a war. You know, and and he had to go and provide wow. for, for for kids. He was a qualified doctor, and but started again. You know, and my mum was by his side, um, and you know they were shot at in 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 a convoy in in Zimbabwe. So so sort of, I think by the time I came along and, and nine or ten or eleven years old, they they they'd worked hard enough to put me through a great school, etc., and had this great attitude. I maybe I just inherited a lot of it from them. You know, we, we weren't ever the wealthiest people mm. at the, at the schools I was at, but we were certainly close to the happiest. Um, and we traveled a lot and spent a lot of time together as a family. So I must thank them for that. But then also I've got to thank them for the naivety because I also 
probably launched too many stupid things. I did a, a charity because I felt that it was a nice thing to do to give back without even understanding what did that mean? Do you do, you do a charity as a one-off? Is it an event? Do you do it for 50 years? Do you, you know, what I should have done is joined a charity of someone who'd been going for yeah. 50 years or, or whatever and, and said, how can I help? You know, here we go, I'll roll up the sleeves and I'll do my stuff and potentially given so much more than, than actually trying to rejig the whole future. So, so what if I fail wasn't really a question for me. I, I think maybe now where I've got more responsibility and, and, and some kids and, and my own school fees, um, normal ones, not business ones to actually pay. <laughs> um, I, I suppose I'm both. I've still got the business ones to pay, but um, I'm, I'm probably more reticent to, to make a, a, a big move without research but i'm probably more willing to make a big move with research so so i think there's a there's definitely an advancement um i'm comfortable that i've now learned to pick the people who i want to work with quite quickly and and when you know when you can back a team and and you're loyal to each other i would definitely be less scared of failing if you know what i mean because then it's collaborative and then and then you're in i think then, you, then you're on the right track yeah, absolutely. And something you said, kind of uh, less fearful or more fearful, it makes me think about the idea of risk. And it's not something we I prepped you on, but the idea of risk is an interesting one to me because everyone believes that entrepreneurs are completely on top of all the risk in the world. But actually, the idea is calculated risk, not fearlessness. Like you're not stupidly diving in and going, oh, fuck, who cares if I fail? You're saying, if I fail, the cost-benefit analysis is in my favor, so screw it, I'm going to go forward. And I I think that's kind of part of this learning about failure is the more you admit that it exists, the more comfortable you get with the risks involved. I think that's, yeah, that's a point well made. You know, I also think that, that it's also how you see things, you know, there, there, there's, there's, there's different groups of people. And, and I think you can broadly categorize um, entrepreneurial types into two. And, and I mean, this, that's, that's a big sweeping statement, but, but bear with me for, for, for a while. I think there's, the people who are experiencing imposter syndrome and they're going, shit, I don't really get all of this, but I'm, I'm just going to sort of uh, wing it, okay? And there's the people mm -hmm. who actually have been completely sideswiped by imposter syndrome and they, they don't get really all of it, but they think they get really all of it. Do you know what I mean? Because if you, if you, if you have to, if you have to generally go drill down into every part of every entrepreneur's life, there is no way that there are, that there are people who've got a hundred percent of their shit together. I would rather deal with a person who goes, Hey, listen, I'm going to make it look like I've got everything together, but I'm going to be quite honest about the stuff I'm not so on top of. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to be aware of my flaws. I'm going to um, be, unconfident if I don't know the risks I'm gonna you know what I mean as the other person who is actually yeah. going we, we've got this you know we're okay don't worry we, we're gonna um you know we're gonna sort of create a solution for for whatever problem our little startup has, has you know that they've generated a problem and then they've got other people's money and now they're super confident mm. I'm terrified of that person but I'm actually quite happy to be in a room mm. with a person who goes listen shit why are we pitching to these guys that they probably don't fit the guy? You know, they said, just hang on. We know our stuff about our business. Let's wing it on why we fit their investment philosophy a little bit and, and, and craft something on the way out of this, as opposed to kick them out the room because they don't think you, 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 you sort of perfect for them. So it's, it, you know, what I'm trying to say is that, that 
we're all quite similar. It's just that some of us are maybe believing mm. our own rubbish, you know, and some of us, I, what I quite like is some of us are saying, oh, this is, a, this is a bit tough. I didn't realize that it was hard to do, but you know, I'm going to carry on. I'm going to go, I've assessed the risk. I'm going to carry yeah. on. Hundred percent. I mean, Paul Graham says it about the Y Combinator startups that he's never worried about the ones who overcommunicate. He's always worried about the ones who stop talking to him. Well, the ones who are saying to him, "Paul, we got a problem. Paul, we're trying to fix it. Paul, we don't know where the money is. Paul, we're losing money." Those guys, he's like, "No problem. They're on top of the shit." It's the ones who shut up and go, well, "We're fine. We're fine. We're fine." Until they're not so fine. Aligned to what I'm trying, I'm trying to say. It's like I, I, I yeah. don't want to invest further in the guy who says nothing for two weeks and it says, oh, look, our marketing director left. We, we had a clash about something, um, but it's all cool. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, and by the way, I need an I'm extra like, million pounds. The letter that your marketing director is, is, has left, I'm the guy that you tell first. Before they leave. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that, that yeah. actually sums up those two character types. This, you might have answered, so if you have, I don't mind if we skip it, but have you ever, out of the fear of failure or fearful of something, have you ever not done something? So you're about to start a business, about to invest in something and actually gone, oh crap, I'm too scared or this isn't going to work and pulled out. If you can, I'd love to hear about well, that. Well, this one might hit home a bit. Uh, this was not out of fear. This was this is not investing in your business. Ah, oh but, yeah, but, sure. You know, we had, a, yeah. a, I mean, you, you allocated some, some uh, a small percentage for me and I had literally the move to the UK come clear and present and I yeah. had to choose one or the other. And my, 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 ah, my yeah, nice. was that I couldn't get involved with you into what was an online venture, possibly growing into, into retail, um, a brand build, you know, a whole bunch of very smart things if I was remote on, on this side of the world. You know, the other businesses yep. that I'd invested in, I had teams in place or I had enough capital there. You know, that was mm. me direct. Um, so, yes, I, you know, fear of failure there wasn't so much not backing. Well, mm. It was never not backing you. And, and we, we went through that. But it, that was like, I'm then I'm not there when the letter comes, <laughs> the marketing director letter comes or whatever it yeah. is. And, and absolutely. I've had to say no on a, on a few investments that, that I would have loved to have gone ahead with, but, but probably because I didn't know whether follow on money was going to come. Um, so, so mm. again, not, not necessarily fear of failure, fear of either sort of reasonable success and I couldn't then follow the money myself. So I would have diluted myself out of, out of um, contention. And that was that was an international investment over here in 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 um, in, in sport and, and uh, startup league in in the US. Um, but the rest of the time, I think because I've been part of either a group of people investing, it's either been a collective yes or a collective no. So it's not necessarily been a fear thing. So I can I can drill it down to probably you know, those two and and maybe one other with with, with like a. Um, a property investment or something like that where I, where I just I was just scared of, mm. of the bond get, getting out of control and kilter with yeah. repayments. Okay, interesting. That does make me think of something I'm kind of hammering home this year as a theme for myself and anyone who will listen is that it's more important at the moment for me to be saying no than to be saying yes. 
that I'm very set on just pushing things away. I spent my 20s saying yes to everything and that just made me confused and overwhelmed. So what's your version? I mean, are you a yes person or a no person? Where do you default? No, I think, look, it's a great philosophy there, in, you know, saying no more often. I, I don't want to be seen as someone who, who hides behind that. You know, I want a reason for the no. Um, and it's okay if, if the reason for the no is, look, I'm too overwhelmed, that's also okay. I also think that, that I've sort of taken on board a, um, a, a position this year on, on, on the future. I think maybe COVID has made me start to think a little bit more about, you know, what does the future look like? Um, and then reading some of the guys that I've, that I've really enjoyed sort of from, from Tim Ferriss and, and um, a, cu a couple of the, what do you call them? Sort of modern day philosopher come investors come sort of broadcast. Like novel rather you know, a, a lot of guys who, who do a lot of talking after a lot of thinking, if you know what I mean. And, and I've, I've come to believe mm. that the future mm. is not always going to provide the reassurance that you seek from it. The future is actually just a little bit like what you feel right now, just in a few months time or a few years time. And, and everybody I think thinks once we get down this road of, a raise, an investment, a raising a fund, opening a business, starting a business, doing something different, then it'll be all cool. And we'll just have this big, you know, white picket fence and, and we'll sit, sit there and do the day to day. But I, I actually think the future from my vantage point right now is going to look very similar to, to what's happening today. There's, the new future is going to be a couple of months ahead of that and it's going to carry on and it's, it's okay. I think that's okay. So therefore, don't panic so much about having to do something. Um, and if that's a reason for the no, like you're talking about, that's okay. It's like the future's there. Maybe you're not, not making enough money for the big car and the and the huge house and the whatever right now. But if you think you're on the right track, that's okay. You can leave the car in the house for a while because you're going to get there. And if when you get there, then you actually need it, then talk again. But but it's not it's not like oh my god i just need to get out of here because there i'll be okay and and i, I think that sort of journeyfying of of here to the future I, th I think if you can get hold of that then then you make clever no decisions but you also make clever yes decisions 100%. It's just, it's such a difficult thing. And there's two quotes that come to mind. The one was Jeff Bezos famously said, people often ask me what's going to change in the next 10 years, but I'm more interested in what's not going to change in the Absolutely. next 10 years. And that's fundamentally true for me. You can't predict 10 years ahead. No one can. And if they can, they're lying. But rather play to the play on the field Absolutely. that you have. I think it's very freeing to, to, to sort of grasp it mentally that, that um, you know, no amount of worrying or fretting or whatever is going to change that. It's You can sit here and wring your hands and go, oh, I need to change. But changing it will change it. Worrying about changing it will not change it. Yeah. Yeah, worry about the things you can control. The second quote was, wherever you go, there you are. And the truth is, no matter what you choose to say yes to, if you're saying yes to everything, you're still in the middle of all these things you've said yes to. And we'll talk about the definition of success just now, but I'm still shocked. And the more I talk to people, the more I'm shocked by this, that so few people have defined what success triggers are in their lives. What does success look like for you? Is it the big car? Is it the big house? Is it the big clients? Is it a million dollar business? What is it? And if you don't know, how do you know what to say yes and no to? Well, I mean, I... 
You're so right. It's funny as I move on. It's 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 actually not that. It's not the not the big car and the big house. And although I do see a lot of people pretty excited about that kind of stuff, but you know, I've got I've got four little kids um, and a fantastic wife and family. Our family life is very important to us. And literally, the the older I get, the more I realise that success actually for me is is good custodianship of that so my role in that and you know of course a, a huge portion of that is business and making those right decisions and a huge portion of that is being there for my son if he makes sporting or non-sporting decisions or my daughter she, and 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 that sort of growth um as a family is probably what will determine success for me but a huge part of that is is then the fact that i'm making the right decisions in in work you know and 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 what i do and who I work for and who I work with and who I'm, I'm, I'm committed to, you know, and, and that's where I'm, I'm trying to sort of move myself forward in terms of understanding my own happiness on that. Um, and, and I think I've, 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 I've got closer to defining it. I'm, I'm very happy when I belong, when I'm part of something. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm good at making others feel they belong because I, I work well with people um and it's it, it, it is a skill but it's difficult you know because you don't belong to everything i mean south africa famously is a country where it's full of outsiders you know the the a black guy in a white environment a white guy in a black environment english and afrikaans afrikaans and english foreigner you know we've, we've got these constant like juxtapositions you know people who are outsiders in what they do and you know being a being a sportsman in business i'm probably an, an outsider forever you know, I'm a, I'm a very, very small fraction mm. percentage of, of people who've, who've, um, are, are doing a role where I wasn't trained to do this. You know, I've, I've, I've got you by hook or by crook. So, mm. so that's difficult to then start to put together. What is my path to happiness then? Because am I, you know, am I trying to push it for my belonging? Am I trying to push it for the benefit of, of, of what I'm doing? But I also think I'm, I'm learning a little, little bit more about, um, myself and, and triggers and others. I've, you know, we get brought up with with quite a quasi religious look at everything where, you know, the, the selfless giving of everything you have for other people is like this ideal, this this sort of um, thing to look up at. And 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 I'm starting to understand that mm. selflessness, complete selflessness, is actually overrated. You know, and, and it's non existent. And, and non existent. There's no such thing as selflessness. Altruism is a lie. Women, especially, mm -hmm. and we've had this, we, we've had a huge um, outcry of, of the treatment of women in the workplace. And it comes from, you know, particularly in the home environment, you know, uh, daughters, mothers um, are trained to sort of be, be, be quiet and subservient, etc. And I think, I think that it's societal is part of that problem. You know, a lot of them then will have now fought that and come out yeah. and, and are incredible in a lot of roles. But you imagine, you know, 15, 20 years of like, no, 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 you, you do the, washing up and cooking and stuff, you know, and, and then you've got to change so much to come out of it. And in South Africa, it's so just privileged. so privileged. bad. Like the gender-based violence is just so brutal and men just aren't taking exactly. their role I mean, I think, seriously. Yeah. I think, and, and, I, and I don't want to get too deep on that, but I'm saying society is to blame, not necessarily sort of to, to point fingers and, and it's not the purpose of society, um, to, to undermine people it's just evolved like that but but I, and I talk about the selflessness mm. I think there's got to be a bit of look after yourself and your bit and then slowly things will be okay because the guy next to you will look after 
himself yeah. and the girl next to him will look after herself and and joint and severally we look after the needs of the business or the needs of our current endeavor etc you know as opposed to don't worry guys you're all yeah. starting a business i've currently got income from sport and talking real example i'll pay the salaries and they will definitely get there mm. and we'll just nail this and everybody goes great idea thanks and a year later they go hey i've got a side project which i'm leaving to go and manage yeah. and i'm out thanks yeah. for the ride and you sort of so so i'm i'm now yeah. trying to teach younger guys i'm saying you know if you if you're doing a startup you know this is not like give 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 um i got told by a very good friend of mine um that his mentor pulled him aside one day and said hey buddy if you want to survive in this world give to the givers don't give to the takers you give to the takers you'll never get it back mm. you give to the givers you'll get it back your whole life long and and that's what i mean when i'm talking about selflessness is overrated i'm not talking about like hey, just look after yourself i'm saying look after the people who are going to make sure mm. they look after you 100% there's so much to unpack there i've made a few notes the first thing i've started to tell young entrepreneurs that self care is not selfish absolutely that it's okay to put yourself absolutely. at the top of your priority list yeah there's a difference right and when you're younger you mistake that i'm looking after myself so therefore i'm being selfish and actually no the older you get the more you realize the more you sleep the healthier you eat the more you train you're preserving your mental capacity so i fully agree with that the other thing i want to observe is I've genuinely never heard or thought of it this way because my world doesn't operate like this. You said you find yourself happiest when you belong. And for me it's the complete opposite. I find myself happiest when I'm disrupting belonging and disrupting the norm, when I'm poking at it to see what's new. And so that was just an interesting thing for me. I'm sure some of my listeners and audience like I've never thought of belonging as a happy place and I'm sure some of my listeners have never thought as not belonging so, being a happy so, place. It's just so interesting so how different a, people I'll, are fed. A piece of that which I'll share with you as 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 we go forward and and not for too much now but I've, mm. I've worked closely with a guy a, a, a New Zealand guy who's writing a book on the concept of belonging and the fact that it's actually neurologically programmed into the human race. Not remember you took wow. About, pushing and prodding and and not belonging you still belong to the pushers and prodders yeah so 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 i'm not absolutely i'm not, I'm not absolutely yeah you in saying like people who are individuals no i know what you mean yeah a complete individual is also a tribe in and of themselves you know what i mean so you belong to a different type of person and the stoics ah, are yeah. the same you know but he he's actually working with an oxford professor professor dunbar who did the the law of 150 you know once you get to 150 mm-hmm. people in a in a working group a factory yes you, you need to split it up you need to go to 275s until they get to 150 each and then 475 yes. and so on and so forth and and they're writing a book around it using huh. some analogous um interviews with sportsmen and women businesses etc and talking about the, the concept of 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 hmm. belonging um as a as as part of motivation but also the the neurological programming which helps you know successful people use it to their advantage so we'll hasn't come out yet all the all the yeah the 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 data and stuff's been gathered and and I've seen some of the early drafts and it's very powerful work it's very poignant uh, at this point too especially when we're all segregated and locked down and distant from one another that feeling of belonging we are all missing exactly. it because it's just not present anymore which is yeah it's interesting. Okay, so next question is I'm curious when you start or invest in something what's more important to you the detail or the big picture? Um I I'll say immediately big picture because I'm 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 
you know, I'm not the most financial of, of our group and, and I work very closely with, with our financial team to try and, to try and upskill myself on, um, you know, runway, run rate, um, affordability, um, growth, scalability, all those kind of things. And, and, and the financial model is a huge part of that. But I've also learned with, with, with um, some of the, the co-investors that, that we've worked with and, and lucky to work with some very smart people. It's, it's about big picture. It's about, but, you know, it's not like big mm. picture, there it is, there's the big world. It's like, where does this investment fit in in the big picture as we know it, as we think it's going to happen? Um, you know, what is it disrupting? What is it changing? Um, what is it not disrupting or changing and benefiting from? Etc. So I would I would put myself in 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 the, the the latter category for that, but only because I'm well backed up by some proper detailed people. Yeah, I mean, I think that is so key is that you can't only be big picture as an entrepreneur. You have to also go. I want to change the world, and this is practically the first step. And, and otherwise, and, what's the point? Well, there's so many. Like, there's so many also, examples. So what I've tried to pick up over the years is little examples of the crossover. So so we've got a a real financial uh, detail-based um, CEO, Evan van Heerden, and, and his reputation is Mr. No, because um, you, you can't get an investment past him, but he's got an incredible record. So when you do get it past him, you've got a proper advocate and a proper yeah. um, sort of supporter. Um, and he talks about, about little little moments in his career where, where he realized that he was thinking big picture, but he was looking for the detail of that big picture. One of them was, was a, um, an investment that went into in payments in Africa, but he was like, but people are going to get the, the, the smartphone or whatever it is, but, but when are they going to be using it? You know, the batteries are dying out. How's it work? And he was in Malawi, I think, and at a little mm. um, village, they got a, um, or they, they got an airplane in and then a taxi to a little village where they had to turn off and they were staying at a lodge or something like that. And there was a, it was literally a box next to the, the, um, where the electricity box came into the village and then went out to, to the various points. And on top of that box was a tray with like 50 cell phones. And they'd been literally, um, you know, put, just put together um, and, and a charging, a charging mm. station had been like hacked charging options. Like, if that yeah. happened that quickly here, then those phones are going to be, charged and fine in people's hands in the most remote parts of Africa. And that was his yeah. detail into big picture moments Amazing. when they made the investment. So, I mean, on that point, actually, it's an interesting segue that from the outside, when you start something, it always looks simple. And I think South Africans, when it comes to rugby, are, are quite guilty of this. Uh, we shit on the Springboks when they do something badly because we think it's so easy to be a Springbok because there have been so many Springboks before them. And it's the same with business, right? From the outside, a version that comes into my head is Angry Birds. They hit the world, exploded. It was this huge success, but nobody knows that that was their last attempt at a game. They'd been building games for eight years. They had failed every single time. And if Angry Birds didn't hit in the app store, they were going bust. So my question to you is, what challenges have you faced that people wouldn't know about when you started? And let's, I mean, you can pick whatever you want to start, but I think maybe joining Knife Cap, it's not easy moving country, starting a VC firm, finding investments, managing it, hitting it. So like, it's what do people not Because those are, those are the usually ones you bury and you don't want people to know about. But I, but I also think, yeah, exactly. I, I not on this podcast. The ones that, that you and other people <laughs> learn the most from, you know, so... 
Um, I think in, in context, Absolutely. Um, the fun one here, uh, so I joined a, a family office who've been particularly successful in private equity and M&A. And I joined with the premise that there was a little pot of gold at the bottom of the rainbow of VC if we got knife capital right. And I've had to push water up okay. a slope with a um, a, a pin <laughs> for for a long, long time. Never having to convince the team. But remember, a lot of a lot of a lot of VC firms are not they're not the entrepreneurs themselves. So they work with entrepreneurs. They're very good at it, but they might come from a financial background very good at DD, very good at mm. marketing. And we've got all of those skill sets across our, our firm, but it was the, the, the no or the difficulties was actually trying to prove the value of, you know, the little investment, because as everybody says, you know, it doesn't move the dial. It's not a, it's not a hundred million pound investment. And it's like, you know, you find me a, a hundred million pound VC investment in South Africa. I promise you, I'll be I'll be begging for a job. You know, I'll be at your at your front door. Everybody here in the UK thinks Africa's too small, and I'm going, guys, you 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 you're missing the whole point. And our firm have now started to believe, and with our mm. um, launch of our Africa sort of Series B fund, um, we, we're getting more people to believe and that's been the, the the longest hardest slog and 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 you know we we had a, a raise this year you might have seen a company called data profit we haven't exited we've 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 gone on to the next phase of investment and we've got partners who've come in from international and now oh. suddenly i think suddenly i think people are going okay mm. you've been telling us the story for five years now now we're listening because now it's starting to move so that's been that's been yeah. really hard and it's still hard but i but i think i think we are what do you call mm. it? The um, sort of little engine that that thought it could, thought it could, which is the the, the VC space in, in yeah. South Africa, um, is starting to get the the traction that it needs. You know, um, COVID hasn't helped, but uh, I think that's that that's probably put paid to the the world just going off the edge of a cliff in five years anyway. I think it's actually made people tighten up and, and look for returns in, in different places and, and, and maybe benefited us in, in the long term. I, I hope so. I think we've got a, a lot to give the world in terms of ideas, entrepreneurs, um, stickability, um, you know, a, a sort of a hybrid um, vigor, which is very entrepreneurial in, in, um, in its nature. We, we, we get naturally in South and Southern Africa, you know, um, just from, from how you grow up. Um, so I think I think there's there's a lot to come, but it's been difficult to to keep punching that. You know, people are like, "Yes, good idea. We don't, mm. we don't do investments into funds, but tell us when you've got a unicorn, and we'll definitely come along." I'm like, You're killing me, <laughs> you know. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but now, Bob, just imagine that from the entrepreneur's perspective. Almost ten years now, I was raising money for one of my businesses. Went to London, Germany, New York, Texas, all over. And without fail, all of them said, we love your business. Just move your headquarters over to where we are and then we'll, we'll go. And I was like, no, 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 no. But you don't understand. The opportunity isn't in New York. It's in Africa. It's where I am. And I mean, that was 12, 10, 10, 12 years ago. I mean, even Silicon Cape, when it started all that many years ago, 
we're still fighting that battle of there are big South African businesses to invest in. But you're right. The truth is the worse our RAM gets, the less impressive our exits look. And then it's hard to justify for the investments. And that's a very oversimplified it, problem. It, it, but that is the problem. Is is the foreign money doesn't want to come in. There's myriad problems. But a huge, yes. Um, yes, there are. <laughs> uh, understanding um, misalignment with, with IP. Um, you know, people are like, hey, love this entrepreneur, love this idea, yeah, yeah. but I'm not investing in jo Johannesburg, you know, and um, I, what, what did someone say to me? Said, yep. hey, love Africa, it's all it's we true. do, but I don't travel further south than San Jose. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting in the middle of San Francisco, <laughs> I'm going, wow, if I could record this, you'd, you'd, uh, you'd not feel proud of yourself. Yeah. The then you don't love Africa. You don't know the investment climate there. If you don't leave San Jose, Afrikan, you wouldn't uh, feel very proud of you. I'll put you up on the screen. But that's where we've specialized. Yeah. We, we've been able to exit businesses internationally. Mm. Um, and that's why I got on board with Knife Capital. That's why I joined, I believe, in, in South and Southern Africa with all my heart. But I also believe that economically, dollars and, and, and pounds are, and euros are, are worth more than the rent. So, so like, it, it's actually a perfect nexus for me. I'm excited about investing. It's still every day you got to be tell, mm. telling the story, telling the telling telling other people why it, it works like that. So look, at, of course, um, it's nice that yeah. your your difficulty of no is, is also a twelve year journey. You know, my, my mind's a long journey, but but it's it's what I get up in in the morning for. I, I sell Africa and the concept of Africa. The beauty about selling Africa and South Africa in particular is that that scales from the eyes experience when you take someone there for the very first time lives with you forever. It's like, you know, yeah. it's like taking a kid to the sea when they, yeah. you know, they take their nappy off and they run into the, into the ocean. It's like, Oh my God, this is, I didn't realize there was something as cool as this out there. You know? <laughs> it's so funny. You say that, Bob, that my first experience <laughs> of the ocean was the literal opposite of that. My parents put me down. I touched the water, turned around, and bolted away from it, never oh, returned. Amazing. I was a proper yeah, Santon boy. Fantastic. So I'm interested from your perspective as someone investing in entrepreneurs and someone who is an entrepreneur and a sports person, what do you think of the concept Look, of work? I, I mean, I've read balance? a lot about it recently, and, and, and I know you know Time magazine had a had a huge thing on it. Microsoft and, and the Economist did something this week. Um you know, I think Microsoft have, yep. have said it across the UK, there's no focus on anyone returning to the office till 2021. I, I, you know, I'll get the dates wrong probably, but I mean, that was mm. arresting, you know, for me. I, I, I was like, wow. But then, you know what? They, they, they're part of the 17 biggest stock upticks over the last nine months. So maybe, maybe there's a, a mix there in this work-life balance. I've, I've had a lot of guys talking to me about um, mm. saying it's the problem with home office and homework is that there's less balance that way than if I'm always at work, but home is my sanctuary. Um, and, and I found that interesting because they're like, you know, you yeah. have a call, you're a bit disappointed and then your kid says, please come and throw the frisbee yeah. and you go, I can't, I've got to do the next call. So you're disappointed in the call, disappointed in not throwing the frisbee, <laughs> two disappointed people in the room. Um, and and I think I think that more more is about you know, we said at the very beginning more about the plan. You know, if you if, you, if you're going to work from home mm. or work less from the office, 
those are two different journeys. You know, I, I think you can also say, okay, cool. I am going to go to the office on Wednesday yeah. or whatever. And that's my cool down day. And maybe that day you go for a, a long lunch or a long walk or, a, or, or, and you sort of have your back to the selflessness um, argument you have a bit of your own time because I, I do feel especially now I mean the UK is not like SA yeah. with lovely big gardens and 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 um, you know houses that have got extra spare rooms and offices etc you know we in my little house we I share a working study with with my wife and if if she's also got work to do then I've got to deal with it you know and you move onto your phone for a call or, or whatever it is so um, it's it's less easy to take a break but I think, I think going back to the, the original question, mm. what, what do I think of it? I absolutely believe you have to have it. But then I also believe in, in a lot of the entrepreneurial wisdom that says if, if you're doing something that you love, you, you're not going to be suffering at work. So then you're going to be happier at home as well. So you know, I don't have, I don't have a, an answer for you that says number of hours yeah. or a plan like that. I wouldn't answer. Like, if you're philosoph philosophically okay with it um, to make your own sort of – cobbled together answer for that i think you're in a better place than someone who's just being dictated to mm. agreed and i think it is about taking the time to think about what it is you want out of work and life so two things on that the one is uh, my favorite quote that i have told people from my own experience in lockdown is the worst thing about lockdown for me is i get into bed and look at my desk every night and Bob, I'll show you and everyone watching, I'm not actually kidding. I, there is my bed. I literally get into bed and stare at my desk every day. And that's killer. That's not work-life balance. That is being forced to work where you live because of a lockdown. And people need to remember that difference. The second thing is uh, this phrase that I've coined called sacrifice fallacy. The idea that you have to give up your mental and physical well-being to build something of worth. And I think that in your early 20s, that's what you believe. You believe that because you're invincible, you can work 20-hour days, not sleep, not eat, not train, and build a billion-dollar business and be happy when you're 40. The truth is almost no one builds a billion-dollar business. You all kill yourselves to build these businesses, and then you've sacrificed your mental and physical fitness to do this, and you're no better off. So I'm trying to launch this slow well, hustle movement. Hustle, but do it slowly. That's what I mentioned. Be patient. That, that be consistent. We're going to provide the reassurance you're looking for. You know, the future, the future should be six months from now doing what right now a little bit better. Incremental improvements. 1% every day compounds over time. Yeah, Tell me something that you wish someone had told you when you were just starting out this journey. Um, I've got so many. Um, I've got to try and find one that's 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 good for, for, for the environment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, Give I, me I, more. Think... Give me more than one. I definitely would have really appreciated someone being able to demonstrate to me the absolute power of focus. But, but not, you know, not like okay. you must really try and focus like, okay, cool. Let's look at one part of your life and let's mm -hmm. create the opportunity for you to focus on that part of your life and then measure it in three months time and not focus on mm. the other parts, but, but, allow them to carry on So do your current non-focus stuff there. But then if you're doing, you know, if you're doing a project or, or you're doing your fo focus, let's do that differently to what we do the other stuff. And then let's look at the difference. And then when that, when, when that has mm. markedly moved ahead of the others, that then let's assess what we need to focus in the broad. I love that, but I do I do want to ask you a little bit of a, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but surely you learned that lesson early on in your career when you focused 
everything you had on being a rugby player, the rest of your life still carried on. And look what happened, right? World Cup, captain, just from focus. No, I didn't, Nick. I, I, oh, I love okay, rugby. interesting. I love sports. I'm like I said, I don't want to jockify it, but I do. I love sports. I'm still. I play competitive cricket at at the Weybridge Cricket mm. Club. I don't need to, but but I'll sprint around the field <laughs> diving. I mean, I've got flipping bruises on my on my my elbows and my knees. Like like my my my. my, my we are different my people, you and me, Bob. Doing that for like the joy that I get of of eventually. Chasing no, just, down a you're old now. or playing touch rugby or play I play football three times a week. So I get yeah. huge joy from from sport, but I never focused enough on, on sport, uh, on, on rugby. I, I never Ah. So is it more your natural talent that has like led you there and then you just fostered that natural talent, is, but and, you didn't and, focus and all your energy the, on being a springbok. You were that, just good at it, so that's where you went. I, I then wow. that's how you achieve. Hmm. That's that's why I was that's why I was trying to say. Ah, that's you know, a brilliant revelation. You, you said what? What would you? What would you maybe not do? I was like, well, if 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 everything in life is like like mm. how I've been brought up and how Ruggers treated me, I can I can do anything. You know, and and that was that that ends up. Wow. Hundred percent. And then the world is like, fuck you, know, buddy. That's not how the world works. 40, and <laughs> yeah. I'm four years into the journey, and, and I've got mates who at eighteen failed their, or whatever, 20, failed their first CFA exam. Um, and, mm. oh, shit, this is actually a big, bad world. And now he's the, yeah. now he's the, the lead auditing partner of the second biggest auditing yeah. firm in the world because he decided then to go, okay, well, I actually am good at it. I'm just going to work a bit harder. Yeah. Okay. You know, but that, oh, and this I, is what failure feels like. And, oh, this is how hard you have to work to overcome it. Yeah. So, and, and I will try and physically demonstrate that with, with my kids and my not to the not to the detriment of. I was about to ask you that. Have other things, but I I, I genuinely mm. believe that there is a, a place for huge and intense focus in an area that you love and enjoy. And I think that's the key. Of my final statement before I ask you your last question is that's the key thing is don't let the world happen to you. You have agency. You get to choose what you like. You get to choose what you fail at. And I think it was Jim Carrey who said the chances are you're going to fail at something you don't love. So you may as well do something you do love. And just blows my brain, like that sort of thinking. You have agency. The amount of people who just happen to be where they are because that's where they ended up is nuts to me. So, about the final thing I ask all my guests is, please tell us where we can find you, what you're interested in hearing from, from our readers and listeners and viewers. If you want to hear from startups or that's founders, just you. tell um, anyone where they can get hold of you. Easy to find me on, on LinkedIn. I, I usually accept um, most requests there. I'm most active on Twitter. I'm not so good on, on Instagram, but Twitter for me is a cathartic sort of reading of other people's stories etc my twitter handle is at bob skinstad otherwise quite easy to go to our knife capital website which is knifecap.com www.knifecap.com and i'm available there you can you do the maths on on bob at um <laughs> that, that that email address um it's not too hard to forget um and i, I love hearing from people businesses that are looking for funding people are looking for for advice collaborative um thinkers in the space uh, for me growing that network of people i can help and who can help me is, is always positive and, and and that's why i also want to say thank you uh, for the reach out you know it's been really cool to discuss all this stuff and, and to see you again and, and i know we'll chat again soon absolutely my pleasure bob thank you for your thank time you. and uh good luck 
Thank you for listening to The Curious Cult Show. I am your host, Nick Haralambis. You can find me at nickharalambis.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on all major podcasting platforms. This podcast was edited by Becky Layton and hosted by yours truly.